0: Uh, we've uh, we've had a great time uh, this morning and just being together. But uh, Mike was the president of uh, the Masters Institute Seminary when I was a student there, and we housed the Masters Institute Seminary right here. And uh, wouldn't you imagine that that's the way God works—that we all come together uh, that way here. Um, uh, but uh, and he, he, the best thing is, is he let me graduate anyway, even though yeah. I probably still have some outstanding assignments that haven't been turned in. Three. So, yeah, three. Yeah, that's why I figured. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then now Mike is the president of the Ark, which is the Alliance of Renewal Churches. And that's a, an organization that comes alongside churches like ours. It's a, a, We're part of LCMC, and this is kind of a sister organization um, uh, made up of many LCMC pastors, but uh, other friends who have been a part of, of Lutheran Holy Spirit renewal type things over throughout the years, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so it is such a pleasure and a joy for me to have Mike here with me today, because uh, not only is he a friend, but he's a mentor to me. Um, and I'm honored to have him uh, up here bringing God's word. So i I know. Yeah. So whatever bad you got out of me, that's just where it come from. Right here. Right here. Would you help me? I'm going to pray for Mike as we get started here this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the joy of friendship and the joy of partnership and ministry. Thank you, Lord, for uh, specifically for Mike today. I thank you for uh, his work in Ministering and in the kingdom. I thank you for the gift that he has been to my life personally and to many who have known him. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would fill his mouth now and his heart with your words. Lord, that they would speak loudly and clearly. Give him your Holy Spirit to anoint each thing that he brings to us today and keep him in your grace and in your love as you always do. Together, we all pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Please welcome my friend, Mike Bradley. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. Good morning, Community of Grace. It's good to be here with you and uh, see a lot of friends uh, who are here today. My wife, Debbie, and I lived here for 10 years in Coon Rapids, and uh, while I was working at Masters Institute, we were members at Redeemer Lutheran Church. Eric McIntyre, who is here this morning, a uh, dear friend, was a uh, worship leader there, and And uh, Pastor Joy is here, and Dave, other graduates from MI. It's just good to be in Minnesota right now. I talked to my wife about five this morning, and it was 104 degrees in Phoenix, Arizona, where we live. So it is a joy (laughs) to be here with all of you. Hey, I want you to know, uh, before I forget, Community of Grace, the great love and respect I have for your newly pastor. Uh, You got a good guy. Uh, when you got Darren Vick, and I have so much respect for him. I'm excited for him and for Angie, and I'm excited for you as a congregation as you uh, start this journey together this next season. Uh, Arlene, I want to tell you about a woman who, uh, I, I pastored a church in Rapid City, South Dakota for 16 years. I want to tell you about Hazel Taft. Hazel turned 100 one year while I was there, and I asked her, Hazel, What's the best thing about turning 100? Maybe some of you have been asking Arlene this. And Hazel thought about it for a minute, and she looked at me and said, No peer pressure. (laughs) No, No peer pressure. Oh, good heavens. Um, I want to read a story for you that picks up on our gospel reading this morning from John 4, the story of the woman at the well. He was male, she female. He was a Jew, she a Samaritan. According to cultural norms, they should not even have been talking, let alone having a conversation that became so personal, so intimate, so quickly. He engaged her simply and innocently enough. I'm tired and thirsty, he told her. That was it. Though a holy man, a rabbi, he did not address the sin and shame that marked her life and drove her to the well alone each day. He simply engaged her in conversation, one person to another. She may have initially questioned his intent and felt uncomfortable, but there was something about this man that kept her there and kept the conversation going. As they talked, it became apparent there was, in fact, something extraordinary about this seemingly ordinary man. His very persona and presence was inviting and accepting. He was a man who wanted nothing from her. This was a first. Men always wanted something. They always wanted something. The woman and the man spent time together. They talked. He listened. He cared. In the end, her very ordinary daily appointment became a divine appointment, an encounter that left her so transformed she ran back to the people who had ostracized her and told them they had to come and see this man. At first glance, he appeared ordinary, but something about him was different. Extraordinary. He had told her everything she had ever done. She found someone who fully knew who she was and still accepted her. Someone who was not scared away by her past and who seemed genuinely interested in her. Someone who related to her with a combination of grace and truth that was healing to her soul. For the first time in her life, she had encountered a man who was safe and it absolutely transformed her life. For the first time in her life, she had encountered a man who was safe And it absolutely transformed her life. But not her life only, right? We know as we read further on in John 4, in verse 39, that it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. The woman at the well was not the only one who needed a safe place. We have other characters in scripture that we read about who also needed an encounter with somebody who was safe. For instance, Nicodemus needed someone like that. So did Thomas. And at one time or another, you and I share some aspect of these characters' lives. Every one of us struggles, for instance, with temptation and sin. I know this for a fact because I know Jeff Montgomery. Every, well, of course, Jeff has just given in to it, but every one of us struggles with temptation. (laughs) So there goes my chance of you paying for golf, right? (laughs) Now I got it. Every one of us in all seriousness, though, we all struggle with temptation and sin, as did Nicodemus, as did Thomas, as did this woman. We all have questions we want to ask about God, about life. And we're we're afraid to ask them because we might be lectured, we might be ridiculed or shamed for asking them. And we all struggle with disappointment at some point in our lives with our relationship with God, if we're honest about it. The woman at the well, Nicodemus and Thomas, needed a safe place. We all do, Christians and non-Christians alike. Imagine if you would, with me for just a moment. Imagine a place where you could be your true self, a place where you wouldn't have to wear a mask or, uh, some, uh, of some sort or another in order to be genuinely accepted and loved. Imagine having a relationship in your life like the one captured in the following quote, Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with the person having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what's worth keeping, and then with the breath of kindness, just blow the rest away. Or what would it be like to discover a place where you can be with people who not only welcome the real questions and doubts you struggle with, but take the time to engage you in authentic dialogue about those questions and doubts? without lecturing you or shaming you or having for, just for having them in the first place. And, and this is a dynamic that, that is true of you and I as Christians. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, there are times we have hard questions. And we have doubts. On December 19th, 1997, I woke up on the morning of my oldest son's 18th birthday to find him dead in our basement. He died during the night suddenly and tragically. If you didn't think my wife and I didn't have difficult questions to ask in the months to come, you'd be mistaken. We had raised Andy. We had baptized him, brought, to, brought him to Jesus in baptism. We raised him in the church. He didn't have Arlene, but he had some really good Sunday school teachers, probably not as good as Arlene, but maybe, maybe pretty close. We'd prayed over him. He'd been in youth group He'd had a Melinda Kern kind of person uh, walking alongside of him. He'd led a number of people to faith in Christ during his young life. We named him Andrew because we felt there was a prophetic word over his life when he was in the womb that this baby is going to grow into a young man who's going to lead other people to Jesus. And Andrew in Scripture is always leading somebody to Jesus. And he did. And then on December 19th, 1997... His birthday became his home-going day to heaven. And Debbie and I had questions. We still have questions. Our kids have questions. And we needed a safe place where we could ask those questions, where we could express our angst and not be lectured, not just be told some flippant, empty cliche. We'll just have enough faith. Just trust. We needed... People who could let us cry and let us be angry and let us just be who we were in that moment. And we had those kind of people. We all need that kind of place. Imagine also a community of faith, a community of grace, as it were, where the truth of God's word is not watered down, but where grace is present. And it influences where, when, and how we share God's truth and bring God's healing to bear on the emotional, relational, and spiritual wounds from our past that might still be influencing our present in some unhelpful way. And just think of what it would be like to live and minister with those who make it a safe place to learn and grow through our failures. They make it a safe place to fail. All of this and more can be found in a person, in a small group, or in a community of faith that's growing in what it means to be a safe place. Well, what is that? What's a safe place? Well, in the church, ultimately, it's always about Jesus, right? And that's all being a safe place is. Being a safe place is a metaphor. And it's a metaphor designed to help you and I be more intentional about being transformed and being empowered to think, speak, and act more like Jesus. Now, if we set our hearts as individuals or as a small group or as a community of faith in wanting to be that safe place people or group for others, there's a few things we need to make sure to to, to say before we go on. First of all, Jesus is the only one who's a safe place for us 100% of the time. That means for the rest of us, it's a journey. It's a process that's going to continue until now and when we get to meet Jesus face to face. Secondly, it's important to know that even if we set our hearts on being a safe place, we're going to blow it. We're going to fail. Isn't that good news? <laughs> we're going to fail. That's one promise I can make you this morning. Set your heart on being a safe place, you're going to fail. Uh, we're going to let one another down. We're, we're going to do things that we should not have done and, and uh, not do things we should have done. We'll speak to each other in, appro- in inappropriate or maybe even hurtful ways. But the good news is this. Even when we fail, God is able to use our failures. He wastes nothing in our lives. He, he didn't waste my son's death and the stuff we've been through in that. He doesn't waste any of our failures. He can use it for good as we, as we perhaps let somebody down. Uh, my friend Dave, I can come to Dave and say, hey, Dave, I'm sorry, I... I came off as a jerk when I said that to you the other day. And Dave, being the gracious man of God he is, is going to say, that's okay, Mike, I forgive you. I always forgive you when you're a jerk. <laughs> and, well, maybe not. No, he wouldn't say that. But. And, and our, our relationship would be knit even closer together, and, and I would have a chance to grow and be transformed, to think, speak, and act more like Jesus. The third thing we need to know is that a safe place may not always feel safe. I'll bet there were times in Arlene's life where for some of you who are, any of her children here today? Yeah, okay, some of the children. It's great. I'll bet there's times when mom kind of set some healthy boundaries growing up. And uh, laid down the laws that were because she loves. And uh, when we set healthy boundaries and when we speak truth to each other, it doesn't always feel good. Um, it, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it frustrates us. But the truth and those healthy boundaries are one of the safest things we can have in our lives. So it might not always feel safe, even though it actually is. And finally, viewing Jesus or the disciples or Christians today as being a safe place depends on the definition of the word safe that you're using. There's five definitions of the word safe in um, Webster's Dictionary. It's only the fifth definition that actually applies to this discussion because that definition is dependable and trustworthy. Jesus is our safe place because 100% of the time he is always dependable and trustworthy, even in those moments when we're wondering if he really is. Now this safe place um, vision is absolutely essential. It's not something peripheral. It's absolutely essential in carrying out the vision and mission God gives to us as individuals and as a congregation. First of all, because it's essential in creating an atmosphere in which we can grow and be transformed to think, speak, and act more like Jesus. And secondly, it's essential in tearing down the negative stereotypes of Christians in our world today. Fair or not, we're often thought to be people who are judgmental and condemning. And sometimes we can be, Right. But when that pattern continues, that's when it's a problem. So we're we're perceived as being judgmental and condemning, or maybe arrogant and angry, or religious and legalistic. Let's take that first one. The safe place vision is essential, not peripheral, because what's in the air makes a difference. Now, there's going to be a picture up here of a, a friend and a longtime mentor of mine named Joe Johnson, friend of Pastor Darren's also. When Joe Johnson enters the room, the atmosphere in the room changes. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that? When somebody walks in the room, things just get better. The atmosphere is upgraded. When Joe walks in the room, the love of God the Father and the grace of God actually walk in the room. When Eric McIntyre leads worship, as he has in the past, he's on staff with Masters Institute now. But every time I said in a worship service, Eric, you change the atmosphere. And it was upgraded, and I was blessed because of it. Have you had the opposite experience? Somebody walks in the room and the atmosphere isn't upgraded, it's downgraded. Anger, excuse me, anger walked in the room with them. Shame walked in the room with them. Tension walked into the room with them. Friends, what's in the air makes a difference, and based on, on who you and I are, we can change the atmosphere in any room we walk into. Melinda Kern, you are an atmosphere changer. Now, this is not in my notes. <laughs> Although, wait a minute, it, that's your handwriting. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Te- teasing is my love language. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, I, I just thought, Melinda, you're an atmosphere changer. When you walk in the room, there is such an incredible love of God and a passion to connect other people to that love that walks in with you. And I think Father just wants you to know that. It, there's an atmosphere that can impact us. We know there's an atmosphere that can impact us physically, right? Right? I lived in Southern Cal for a few years when I was at Fuller Seminary, a lesser seminary than the Master's Institute. And um, in fact, I was there right before I I came to Master's Institute to join the staff. And uh, there were days it was hard to breathe because of what was in the atmosphere. Well, just as there's an atmosphere that can impact us physically in helpful or harmful ways, there's one we breathe in emotionally, relationally, and spiritually that can impact us too. There's an atmosphere that can help us thrive and flourish as followers of Christ. And there's an atmosphere that can weaken and eventually quench our passion and faith. Which atmosphere are you going to be building here at Community of Grace this year, folks? Just because a church is a Christian church does not mean the air is good. I've walked into some, I travel all over the country and overseas in the position I have now. I walk into some Christian churches, and what's in the air is not good. It's going to be up to you to decide what kind of atmosphere do we have here at, at Community of Grace and that we want to continue to, to build. There's an atmosphere that's crisp and clean, and it's just, a, it's just a sweet aroma, and it just draws people to Jesus. But there can be an atmosphere in the life of a Christian or a church that can be foul and toxic. And actually, push people away from Jesus. It's only in an atmosphere that's a safe place that any of us can be appropriately vulnerable and transparent about what's going on in our lives, and it's only in being appropriately, uh, appropriately transparent and vulnerable with at least one other person, maybe a small group hopefully, but at least one other person that we can dare to bring the things out of secret, out of hiding that we've been keeping there so that God can bring His healing to bear on them. He can bring His power to transform to bear on them. And it's only in being a safe place, growing in what that means, that God can use you and I to tear down these negative stereotypes that are out there about Christians. Usually when somebody has a stereotype that Christians are judgmental and angry, arrogant, uh, judgmental and condemning and arrogant and angry and religious and and, uh, legalistic is usually because they've either met a Christian who is that or they've bought into the party line that that's what all Christians are. You usually cannot reason that stereotype away. What it requires is that person meeting somebody who is a Christian and is not that. Dan Lugo, when people meet you, that this is what happens. Stereotypes are torn down. Because you're exactly the opposite of that description of Christians. That's your wife's handwriting, huh? (laughs) It's only as people meet us, as we dare to grow even a little bit more and be in a safe place, that they begin to reevaluate and go, Oh, you're not what I thought a Christian was. I might have to begin to rethink that. Well, how do we grow in this thing of being a safe place? Begin to identify what it is. Well, one way you can do it is think of a safe place person in your life. Those of you who had Arlene in Sunday school could think of Arlene and think, what were the characteristics, what are the characteristics about who she is as a person, and what are the things I saw Miss Arlene do? And, and you can begin to develop a list. Well, that's what it means to be a safe place. Or you can pay attention as you read the Gospels, as you read the book of Acts, and watch Jesus, watch the disciples as they interact with people, and ask yourself, what is it that they did, or what is it about who they are that made them a safe place for that person? Now, over the years, i put together some definitions of this whole thing of being a safe place that will be on the screen for you. There's not a Bible verse or a group of verses that says, thus saith the Lord, this is a safe place. But this is a compilation of some things I've collected over the years. First of all, being a safe place is learning from the life of Jesus how to most effectively relate to people so they'll have the opportunity to be impacted by the love and power of God. So, again, read the Gospels. And as you do, pay attention to what you see Jesus doing, what you see him saying, how you see him interacting with other people. Um, The second one is being a safe place is being like Jesus with those Jesus would have been with. So begin to ask yourself, well, who is it Jesus would be with? Now, if you're talking to Jeff Montgomery and Darren Vick and I, the obvious answer is Jesus would be on the golf course. His name is used all the time (laughs) on the golf course, right, Jeff? And God, I mean, it's a cross to bear, but Jeff and Pastor Dan and I, yes, Lord, we're willing to bear that cross if we have to go golfing. Not on a Sunday morning, of course, because if a pastor hits a good golf shot on a Sunday morning, who's he going to (laughs) tell? Or or who is she going to tell? You know, if Pastor Joy's out golfing on a Sunday morning and you get a hole in one, who are you going to tell Pastor Joy? You can't. (laughs) Or how about this definition? A safe place, relationship, or community of relationships is the gift of a place where anything can be said without fear of criticism or ridicule. Wow. It's a place where masks and pretensions can be set aside. It's a place where it's safe to share the deepest secrets. The darkest fears, the most acute sources of shame, most disturbing questions or anxieties. It's a place of grace, a place where others are accepted as they are for the sake of who they can become. Now, there's so many characteristics about what it means to be a safe place. I've collected them over the years, and I, I wrote on them on a short little book that's only 400 and some pages long. Um, uh, I think Jeff uses this as a (laughs) doorstop for his office, and uh, Pastor Dave props open windows with it, I think. (laughs) There's a lot of what we can say about this thing of being a safe place, (coughs) but you can you can really uh, group the characteristics under three major headings. The first is this. A safe place people are experientially rooted in God's grace. And I I, I intentionally use the word experientially. Now I I love being a Lutheran Christian for so many reasons. One of the reasons is our theology on God's grace. We can theologize on grace until the cows come home. Not sure what that means, but there, there you go. And uh, it's easy to theologize about grace. It's easy to talk about grace. It's easy to teach about grace. It's another thing to live grace and to encounter grace in somebody's life. Secondly, a safe place people seek to be rooted in God's truth. Well, not surprisingly, Jesus was full, John 1.14 says, of grace and truth. And one without the other is incomplete. We need both because grace influences where, when, and how we speak the truth of God. And thirdly, a safe place is a a place and a people that creates a freedom for authentic living. We can just be real people. We don't have to be all religious and, and super spiritual. We can practice authentic loving and caring. We can make it a safe place to engage in authentic dialogue. We can make room for uncertainty and doubt, even disappointment with God Himself we can give others the opportunity and the uh, the safety to live out an authentic emotional life how you doing today not good you don't always have to be putting on a face and a mask i'm full of the joy of the lord well you're full of something but it might not be the joy of the lord on a particular day and we can we can make it a safe place to fail quick story i'm a youth pastor all good men and women of God start out as youth pastors best place ever <clears throat> to, to uh, be trained for ministry I thought I was going to be a career youth pastor Melinda and I, I got to 24 years so 24 years as a youth pastor the all night lock started to kill me Early in my time at Trinity Lutheran Church in Rapid City, South Dakota, I'm the new youth pastor, a church of 800 people, only four teenagers. We didn't have a youth group. They wanted a youth group, which is why they called me. And I went to work, and we're starting to have some good things happen. In about year two or three, we're going to take a mission trip to Mexico. And I get the great idea, in this historic 90-plus year Lutheran church, we should have pop machines, soda machines, down in the fellowship hall, and all the money would go toward... The Mexico mission, and uh, and the, we had the fellowship hall underneath this beautiful historic sanctuary, carpet on it, a few coffee stains here and there, but other than that, it was a nice fellowship hall. I made a great presentation to the church council, and and one of the council leaders said, "Well, that's a great presentation, young Mr. Mike," but no, you can't have the pop machine, and I, I said, "I." Excuse me, you just said it was good. Oh, yeah, great presentation, but no, you can't have a pop machine. Well, why not? Well, we can't have the teenagers of the church be running around on a sugar high, and they they might spill pop on the carpet, and it'll get stains on it. Now, not my best moment, but I said, Oh, you mean like the coffee stains down on the fellowship hall already from the adults (laughs) and the sugar high they're on. And that did not go over real well. And we go back and forth, back and forth. They're not going to let me get my pop machine. And I slammed my notebook shut, picked it up, stood up, and walked out, and drove home. Now, this is before cell phone days. On the way home, I realized, oh, son of a gun. I'm going to get fired. I would have fired me. I get home, and I'm sitting in the ca- I walk in, and my wife, Debbie... some of you know, sweetest gal in the world, and she says, how'd it go? I said, not good. (laughs) And I'm just kind of shaking, I'm going to get fired. And I'm sitting in the kitchen by the phone. Of course, no cell phones. The phone's hanging on the wall. You remember that? And, and sure enough, the phone rings, and I pick it up, and I, I, I answer it, and it's Pastor Leroy. Pastor Leroy, who reminded me a lot of Dave Glesney. In fact, they were friends, Pastor Dave Glesney from Redeemer years ago. And it's Pastor Leroy, and he says, Hi, Mike, how you doing? And I, before he can continue, I said, Pastor Leroy, I'm so sorry I embarrassed you. I know I shouldn't have done that. Blah, 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 blah. I understand why you have to fire me. and he said fire you I, I didn't call to fire you I just wanted to see how you are and I said well I'm embarrassed and I, I just I failed you and he said listen Mike when you left I told the council isn't it great we have a young man who's so passionate about our teenagers and about Jesus and they got to talking about that and he said by the way they said you can have your pop and <laughs> so what I learned from that is the anger and emotional manipulation works. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. He said, but but here's the thing, Mike, I, you know, you got pretty upset. I wonder where that came from. Why don't, why don't you come in the office tomorrow and let's talk and let's begin to explore. What's, maybe there's something God wants to bring some healing to in your life and some freedom to And that started me on a journey to finding some things in my past that were unresolved and they were influencing that kind of behavior and God began to bring His healing and His freedom to these things and it transformed who I was then in the present. And I became more of a safe place. Pastor Leroy made it a safe place to fail. Well, let me close with this. There's a prayer I like to pray, and if you pray it authentically, God will answer this prayer, and he will answer it in some great ways. I was praying this prayer, let's see, Anna Grace is 15, I was praying this prayer 13 years ago, and the result of praying the prayer is that I was healed from a gen- incurable genetic lung condition that runs in my family. My sister had a double lung transplant two years ago. My brother, John, is in need of a lung transplant in this next year. They can't figure out why I don't need that. But I got prayed for. I got prayed for 13 years ago by a girl who was 2 and a half years old. And her dad said, Hey, Anna Grace, Mr. Mike's got an owie in his chest. You want to pray for him? She jumped up on my lap... Slapped her hand on my chest and said, Mr. Mike, in Jesus' name, be healed. Amen. Went back to my pulmonologist some month. I promptly forgot. I thought it was cute. Promptly forgot. it. Went to my pulmonologist uh, about six months later. I was back up here in Minnesota, and they said, we don't know what to tell you. It's gone. The disease that your lungs are suffering from and the effects of it have been reversed. We can't tell you why. And uh, I said, well, I got prayed for. And the doctor said, well, that's okay. Sometimes God answers prayer like that. And I said, you don't understand. It was by a girl two and a half years old. And she laughed and said, well, that explains it. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, Mike, you're a pastor. You're the president of a seminary. You know too much. And all the stuff you know gets in the way of God moving in your life. He had to do a brain bypass (laughs) through a girl that's two and a half years old. So here's the prayer, okay? Here's the prayer. Also, by the way, some of you, if you pray this, Jeff Montgomery, if you'll pray this prayer, God will work in such a way that you and Pastor Darren and I will be asked by somebody to golf at Augusta someday. <laughs> so, where they play the Masters Golf Tournament. So Now, that might be a little manipulation on my part. You'll have to test that and weigh it. But no, here's, here's the prayer. Lord, do whatever you need to do in me so you can do whatever you want to do through me. Lord, do whatever you need to do in me so you can do whatever you want to do through me. As we begin to pray this prayer, if we'll pray it with as much integrity as we can, and then begin to listen, begin to watch, begin to pay attention, the Lord may begin to speak to you about some things that He wants to do in you. Thinking, He wants to change. Habits, He wants to set you free from. Behaviors, He wants to transform. And you'll find yourself beginning to think, speak, and act more like Jesus. What a great world it'd be if we actually thought and spoke and acted more like Jesus. Lord God, I pray that prayer for myself and my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, do whatever you need to do in us so you can do whatever you want to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen.